and ghouls welcome to episode 120 of dads from the crypt my name is jason today i'm joined by mondo hello everyone hello jody's out we have two great great guests for everyone tonight the first comes back to us from a galaxy far far away welcome back galen hey thanks for having me guys always great to Thank always you. great to be back always great to have you the next up, we have a senior contributor and podcaster from the Daily Dead News. Welcome to the show, James. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, great to have two great guests on tonight. Um, James, since you're new to the show, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about uh, your fandom with Tales of the Crypt. Um, so I'm a senior contributor for Daily Dead. I've been writing them for several years, um, write features, reviews. Um, I've also presented a few podcasts, which are kind of anniversary um, sort of shows, which I've done with things like The Crazies and Killer Clowns, where I've got to interview the cast and the crew sort of 30, 40 years on, which has been really great as well. And I think with Tales from the Crypt, I think my fandom started probably with the films because in the UK, we didn't really get the TV show so much. We didn't have that like appointment viewing with Tales from the Crypt. A long story, but basically the UK never really knew what to do with American TV shows. You know that um, in the um, National Lampoon's European Vacation, the joke where they go to that English hotel and there's only four channels on the TV. That was actually British TV in the 90s. So there was nowhere really for Tales from the Crypt to sit. So we didn't really get the TV show. So it was the films that I kind of fell in love with, starting with Demon Knight, which was brilliant. Um, and then my, I managed to get all the series when I was visiting um, uh, the US. So I kind of got through it through the films and then even the TV show, The Tales from the Crypt Keeper, the cartoon. Mm -hmm. So it, I sort of started sort of through there, really. And basically, basically, obviously, just with you know YouTube and such, you can watch all the other episodes. So I've kind of got on board with it through that. That's awesome. Do you have any favorite episodes? I think actually what, this one is probably my favorite, Confession. Mm -hmm. I think the others are, which is kind of similar in terms of like the sort of story. Is it Two for the Show? The one with David Paymer kills his wife and then tries to hide her on the train. Oh, yeah. That kind of yeah. cat and mouse in a very sort of set, select setting. Mm -hmm. uh, Yellow, I think is great. And um, is it, oh, I forget the name of it, but basically it's the one with the radio shows where they go to the house. Oh, the, new so, oh, the yeah. yeah. Television Terror? Yes, yes, yeah, that's a great one. Oh, oh no, I, I think I think it's New Arrival, the one with yeah. the radio oh, host. Oh, yes. that was a TV host. Oh, yes, yes, that, that was, was great too. David Warner, yeah, yeah, season four. I think just to reveal, just to reveal of that. Oh. And I think, and even with the series seven, even though some of the episodes don't hit as hard, I think when they do hit, they hit really well. Like, they, is it the kid kidnapped or kidnapper? I think that's a brilliant episode with as well. Just it's so dark. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I didn't intentionally have someone from the UK on, but as someone from the UK, can you give us any more insight into uh, season seven? Like, do you appreciate? Do you think you appreciate it more being from the UK, or 
I remember when it first came on TV, it was one of the only series I saw on TV, and I did think, wow, it, it's kind of for us, it's us. Because you saw all these stars, like Ewan McGregor, who had just been in train spotting. Mm-hmm. I thought he, he was in it and stuff like that. And you just thought, oh, wow, this is, this is all brilliant. It's over here. That's all crazy. And actually, there was a TV, show, TV channel over here called Sky One, which was a bit like our HBO, mm-hmm. and it showed it at prime time on a Sunday. It was probably the only season, I think, that did it. And yeah, I sort of, it was, kind of took me aback a little bit. It was really good. I just, I was enamored with the fact that it was over here. And obviously we had the British Tales from the Crypt, but this one, right. the TV show always seemed really American and really kind of glossy and jazzy. And then it came over here and I was like, wow, what are they going to do with it? And it was, it was, you know, it was good. They did, I think they did well with it kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I think they were, they were working though with the, with a lower budget, with a smaller budget. So you kind of, that, that, that's evident in some areas. Yeah. And, yeah, have, and the fact that they like reinvent how they do the show, just the whole new crew, you know, probably create a lot more headaches than they anticipated. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I know that, you know, Alcats and Gil well, the first, talked about that. Yeah. Well, the first um, article I actually wrote for Daily Dead was an interview with Gil Adler on the oh, 25th wow. anniversary of Series 7. Oh, cool. Because um, I was trying to go and pitch ideas and I was getting Jonathan, the editor there, is great, but it was like, thanks, but no thanks. And I pitched this one. He's like, actually, that's great. Go with it. And Gil Adler was so generous with his time, like it talked about an hour. Mm-hmm. And I think they're kind of, him and um, Al are kind of, sort of English fans. Like he said how much he loved British comedy. And I think both him and Al's wives are from England, yep. if I, yep. if I, know, if I yep. remember correctly. So it, like he was going on about all these kind hearts and coronets and all these mm-hmm. Eden studio comedies that he loved and he kind of wanted to kind of, you know, emulate in some way. Yeah. But then when he said when he got here, it was just no one wanted to work because it was the tax situation. So yes. like he asked Roger Moore, and Roger was like, oh, great, but call me when you get back to LA. I don't want to work here because the tax goes through the roof. Yeah, I think so, he had meant, so I, I, think I, had... I think I remember hearing him say, I think the one director he mentioned was uh, was uh, Lewis Gilbert, who did Educate mm. Rita. And, yeah, yeah, he and, mentioned uh, him as well. Valentine. Um, mm. Yeah, I think he had mentioned, I think he had mentioned him specifically was like on board until he found out they were actually shooting in London and he was like, oh yeah, no, I thought you were shooting in LA. Yeah, I think even he mentioned Roger Moore was living in Switzerland at the time and right. I think may have come up, came over to do it. But um, but yeah, it, it, it was sort of, sort of crazy, but it's the same. But it, even then, looking back now, it's amazing how they got those stars on the up and up. Like Ewan right. McGregor isn't the name he is now. Right, neither uh, Daniel Steve Craig. Coop, neither, Daniel Craig, Daniel exactly. Craig blows my mind. Yeah, that's exactly. Wild. So they got a lot of people before they kind of hit it big. I don't think they, you know, they didn't get the big names arguably that they wanted to, but the people they've got since then are, are the megastars. Yeah, well, I think because because the TV show can go much quicker than the movie, there can be someone in the movie that they like, or know the movie. They know the movies can be big, so they can get them on the crypt before the movie comes out. It's interesting. So they kind of, you know, they kind of have an yeah. insider idea of you know who's going to blow up a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. There's like some really interesting casting here and there, like having like um. Mm-hmm. Like on that same episode with Daniel Craig, like having the the opera singer Uta Lemper on there, and you know other people like that that you just yeah. would never imagine seeing, and then you know, and then having like um, what's his name, Freddie Francis, direct an episode, you know, who did yeah. the original Tales from the Crypt, and like that's yeah, it's like it's a really fun, yeah, re- some really fun gets they had in this season. Yeah, yeah, um, there's a couple. 
Go on, sorry. I was going to say, online, I, I see constantly people bashing the set of the season. And yeah, it's not as good, but it's not terrible. It's not, definitely not like unwatchable, like I've heard some people yeah. say. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not as, in, I guess it's, it's you, would, you could say it's not as inspired as like, you know, yeah. the peak seasons like four and five, you know, re, you know, where it was like really, they, they, they were, they were just like constantly just hitting them out of the park every episode, just like really on point. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, I think it was, it was hard for them to kind of get that, you know, get that kind of batting average again. But, um, you know, I think as mo- a lot of season, a lot of series have that same experience. But I think, that, yeah, there's still some that I think are, yeah, I think it is kind of the whole season is kind of uniformly trash where there are some, um, you know, some gems here and there. And I think this is definitely one of them. You know, I think as what, well the the wraparounds with the crypt keeper. I think they, yeah. I think Gil said that he didn't he didn't do what he wanted to do. I think he wanted to like make uh, the crypt keeper like one of the Beatles and have him film at Abbey Road. But none of them could be be Britishified, if you know what I mean. I think the intro to this um uh the, the sort of opening to this one is the crypt keeper dressed as a dentist, which is obviously yeah. nothing British at all. So right. I think they were kind of hampered by that. But hampered by that, I think they had to do that back in LA. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, like, yeah, some of them were kind of odd. Like, I know there's, like, one that's, there's, like, one where he's, like, basically Vito Corleone. (laughs) So it's, like, not British at all. Like, I think, like, making, like, very specific references that are decidedly not British, you know, which is very interesting. Yeah, I think they just kind of, like, ran, I think they were just running out of steam. Yeah. Um, But before we get into the episode proper, uh, Gail, I just want to give you a chance to talk about any projects that you're working on. Yeah, I mean, as I'm sure some people, you know, brought up, I mean, it's been a very unique year with the strike. So, you know, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to be on the other side of it so that I can I can actually talk about things that, I, <laughs> that I've done. Yeah. But uh, at this point or, you know, um, you know, things coming up, I've, um, uh, you know, in the um, in the time that I, you know, in this time that, you know, it hasn't been much on camera work, you know, I've um I've been doing a um, a play that's a really a really crazy uh, a theater piece out of the uh, that's been produced out of the Titmouse Animation Studio. They're uh, responsible for like Big Mouth and Lower Decks and Beavis and Butthead, but they they have uh, they um, they've built a little theater space in their warehouse. Um, uh, the kind of the it's like the official like Titmouse warehouse now, and they and so this is their first production there, and we're doing a. Um, uh, a, a kind of what the director calls a mondo bibliodrama, taking the um, the uh, the stories of uh, King Solomon from uh, Old Testament and the you know, Hebrew text, and um, you know, kind of doing this uh, this kind of wild, uh, kind of literal interpretation of it with you know, um, uh, with kind of with giant uh, puppet monsters and uh, demons and. Um, and they've got like a live Moog cool. score underneath and everything. It's so it's very cool stuff. Um, so we're doing we're you know for those in um, in, in the Los Angeles area, we're doing that in Hollywood through uh, January, and then we're going to do a week of performances in Japan. In um, oh wow, yeah, in um, in February. So um, that's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. So anyone in LA or or Japan, Tokyo can uh, <laughs> can can check that out. Um, and, All right. Um, oh. Yeah, and then um, 
let's see. I'll see if I can make it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah over in over in Hollywood, not too yeah, not not too far. Orange Japan. Um, and then um, and then yeah, I think the things off this year that I can now talk about. I did an episode of um of uh of the of the Roseburn show physical. I had done. I came had done an cool. episode the previous season and came back on uh, season three. So you can um, people can check that out, um, and um, yeah, that's I think that's about it. No uh, return to Imperial. Uh, um, <laughs> even you know, even if I could talk about it, yeah, no, no nothing. I mean, I th there's no well, there's no word yet if um, uh, you know, um, you know, if a Book if of Fett will uh, have a second season, or you know, what they how they or if there's any kind of overlap with that world in the in in the in Mandalorian, but uh, you know, I, um, you know, if you know, if and when that comes out, I won't be able to, I won't be able to talk about it until after <laughs> the fact. So, but um, awesome. you know, fingers crossed, you know, that there's that the um, the famed uh, desk clerk has, uh, you know, has has, uh, <laughs> has more story to tell. Is that was that the official name for the character? Uh, yeah, I think um, I think Moss Espadet's clerk was I think the credited yeah title. I um. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, maybe, maybe, in, maybe at some point he'll get a name. We'll see. Um, you should, you should give him a name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I yeah, I, I don't have my, I don't have my star, my Star Wars name book in front of me, but uh, I'm sure there's a, I'm, you know, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll have a, maybe I'll have a contest on my Instagram of you know, name you the name the the uh, name the Boba That's Fett fun. character. Right. And then just go straight Wesley Snipes and Blade Three, and just act like that character on set. Create a backstory oh, for him. 100%. Never break character. Annoy the <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And just have a yeah, and and just just have just plumes of popped smoke coming from my my dressing room. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. And before we get further, I have a special announcement. Uh, we talked a little bit about our friends, Al Katz and Guild Adler, where they're actually going to be doing a special fundraising event in December. Um, we're looking at the 16th. It'll be a live online event, uh, similar to the Dead Easy uh, reading we did, like similar setup. They're doing a panel called Joys and Jolts, uh, where they're going to talk to a group of masters of horror about why they love horror and how they got into horror. Um, I don't want to give out the names yet because I don't know how much of it's confirmed, but it's a great panel. Uh, everyone's going to want to check it out. Um, again, we'll be asking for a small donation, and then we'll give you a code to go to the YouTube channel. Um, this time, the charity is going to be Operation Stand Down, um, which uh, we're doing it for, I think, the Tennessee branch, which is an organization that connects veterans uh, with careers and community and crisis services. Um, so again, get those tax dollars out while you can before the end of the year. Um, <laughs> everything's appreciated. Uh, I guess we're cool. still finalizing some of the details, but we'll have them very soon. So monitor our social media accounts for those details. But I'm almost certain it'll be at the, on the 16th, uh, probably midday. Cool. Uh, I, I love Jason's special announcements because I'm always surprised too because he's include me into anything. <laughs> this is all news to me. I, I honestly, I I didn't know until pretty much yesterday. Uh, I so, like it that way. Whenever Jason yeah. says these announcement, I get excited too. I'm like, ooh, what's what's there happening on our show that I don't know about? That's fun. <laughs> um, all right, so mark your calendars. All right, tonight though we are talking about the seventh season episode, Confession, episode eleven, which came out on July fifth. 
1996. Unfortunately, Jody's not here, so Mondo. You know how much I love doing this. <laughs> yeah, tell uh, us tell us what happens. Any 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 of you guys who are longtime listeners of the show, you know this is about to be a shit show. So uh just <laughs> just say uh so we open up on the crypt keeper and he's an optometrist. And uh I will say at the beginning, I thought he missed the mark by not using the term difocals, and then he got it at the end, and I was like, mm-hmm. ah, difocals. Uh uh, basically giving an eye giving an eye exam and uh well he wasn't much to the intro he actually mentioned that his, his eyes probably went bad from watching too much tales from the crypt which is uh kind of interesting to say in, in season seven um mm-hmm. but then we open, we open up on the episode with a uh severed head with a with a sorry a headless body in an alley who turns out being a, um, a dead woman who's been beheaded by a serial killer in, in England because or in London, because uh, London's never had any, any serial killers before, as they say. But, uh, and and then we uh, they basically find um, and, and oh, my God, I forgot his name, Marty Jason. Uh, well, um, the main character or there's two main characters in this, really. Uh, one being played by um, one is Evans, who they find walking around the alley, who they immediately uh, accuse of the murders because he's walking around the crime scene. Um, and then uh, Jack Lynch is the hard nosed best detective in the world who loves to bowl. And to summarize this, I'm gonna I'm gonna be brief on this. I'm not gonna give you the the synopsis like Jody does. I was not prepared to do that. Um, but basically, we, we go into this cat and mouse game of the the, the, the detective constantly trying, with, with circumstantial evidence, trying to convict uh, uh, Evans of this crime. Um, Evans turns out to be a horror writer, which makes him an easy target for someone who may be committing a crime. And they even bring up some of their past scripts. They even bring up in an interesting note saying, you also wrote for Tales from the Crypt? And he goes, yeah, but that show was canceled anyway. It's probably they probably deserved it or something to that effect. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I um, I need to know from uh, our friends Alan Gill if that was just some like intentional snarkiness there, which I, I hope it was, just to be honest. Yeah, that was pretty good. And then later on, even um, they find they they ransack his apartment and they find all kinds of literature and like ads from like these uh, fetish, uh, fetish dungeons down there. And uh, one of the books they find is called the Sa- it's based on the Satanic Verses from Anton Xander LaVey. Um, I forgot what they called it on this one, but it's a satanic book. And um, it was written by Gil Adler and Alan Katz, which I thought was a really, really yeah. fun touch in, in the episode, too. And, uh, and and for some reason, I imagine Alan Gil is watching that and laughing their asses off and, and, and enjoying that scene. Even I, I kind of hope that they didn't even tell them that was going to be in there and they just happened to put the name on the prop. This is surprising. Uh, but then uh, they eventually go and search his house and they do find and he's well, they they arrest him and then he goes, he's calling his girlfriend, I think, I believe, and telling her, hey, I need you to pack your stuff up, leave town. Also grab the the black square bag in the back of the cabinet and take that with you. And the phone's being bugged. So the, the copiers, everything, which all police station phones are bugged. So that's that was kind of uh, an oversight on his end. Um, but they uh, eventually they go to his house and they actually find a head in a jar, which he claims he bought from a freak show. And uh, they don't believe him. And then the next scene is, is he's being um, the basis two other detectives talking about how great Lynch is and how he put another one away. And um, then we go to Lynch in his apartment. He walks in, drops his bowling bag down, opens it up, pulls half the bowling ball out, 
and the severed head. And then in man, they still had a great set piece here when he goes to the fridge, puts a severed head in the fridge, and then gets himself an ice cold beer. Yeah. I mean, severing heads is uh, thirsty work. So basically, we have the uh, the classic case of the uh, police officer who is the serial killer who's trying to convict someone else of their crimes. Yeah. Which another interesting piece is they mentioned that they mentioned that um, Evans actually wrote he was writing a script based on a serial killer that only hunts other serial killers, which is so Dexter esque, which would be kind of a Lynch does in the whole situation right he's uh, not yeah, the whole extra meta level predates that. yeah and, and i don't mean lynch obviously isn't killing people because they're bad people um but it is still how you know if you watch dexter the cat and mouse game between dexter and the other detectives yep. very similar to that so i thought it was that was a really cool nice touch and I, I really hope that turns out that someone from showtime was watching this and was like oh yeah that's a good idea we should <laughs> <laughs> we should make that show yeah, I think the books were probably, I don't know exactly when, but they were, they've been around for a little while, even when that show came out. And so they probably were out the time. I, I, I like, I, I, I couldn't get into the books and I tried. I've heard, yeah. And, and even the show realistically only had like three great seasons. Yeah. Yeah. It had a lot of stinkers. But uh, Michael C. Hall, though, in Six Feet Under is phenomenal if no one's seen that. He's show, an incredible so. actor. He, God, he's be, so good. That can't huh. be overstated how good he is. Okay, so it looks like the books came out in 2004, so actually we're a little bit later, so, huh, okay, it's a quicker turnaround than I expected. Yeah. All right, thank you, Mondo, good job, you get a star. Yeah. Uh, James, you can start us off, what did you think of this episode? I actually love it, I think it's one of my favorite episodes, and I remember watching it when it first came out, I was like 14 years old, and I was just enamored <laughs> by it, I was blown away, and again, it's more just the simplicity of it, um, I love the sort of cat and mouse sort of scenario of it like i'm a big fan of the thing and it kind of reminds me of that where basically okay. the performances the story is carried by those two performances because a lot of it half of it is just them two in a room talking back and forth and if they don't sort of work together there's no chemistry there or the script isn't that good then it kind of falls apart but it's not mm -hmm. and again i think it's just a juxtaposition of kieran hines and susie susie izzard acting sort of one off against each other and again they they look and their sort of appearances are very different obviously kieran hines is that archetypal you know hard-nosed kind of cop and susie is sort of isn't it's more you know they are right they're more creative they sort of more think with their sort of head kind of thing i just think it was i think it's a really really good episode and again it, like i said before it reminds me slightly of the two for the show where you have two people in a confined space just going back and forth with each other yeah all right galen yeah, I, I definitely echo the same. I Yeah, I think this is, um wouldn't say this is necessarily my one of my favorite episodes of all time. I mean, that's that, that list is so, um, so extensive, but I, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely um, in the, it, you know, it, in the probably top 20 and I definitely probably one of the first, you know, top 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 two or three in in season seven i think there's a couple couple others that are pretty fun i really like the um the ewan mcgregor one is very fun for a, in a di very different kind of way but um mm -hmm. this one yeah again i think really the i i appreciate how um um how refined how kind of restrained it is in you know as opposed to some of the others it is it is kind of just a kind of a, more of a more of a classic thriller, um, you know, and I, I, I really, I, 
I, I didn't even think of um, the comparison to two for the show, which is another one of my favorite episodes. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, James is spot on with that. I think just as far as the, you know, having the two characters kind of the, the tete-a-tete back and forth, kind of one trying to outdo the other, I think, you know, it's obviously a little more, a little more tragic in the case, in the, the, um, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the outcome for Susie Izzard's uh, character, but, um, I, uh, but yeah, but that it just letting the two of them go back and forth. I mean, just two, two incredible actors and watching the, watching their back and forth, the, the, you know, the, the subtext is just teeming, you know, it's just screaming in those, in certain moments you can, you know, as each are trying to, you know, each are trying to best the other. And I think it's, it, you know, it's one of, the, you don't get a lot of those episodes where it really, um, where it really is the actors carrying the, um, carrying the story. It's doesn't, doesn't rely as, as much on the gore or the, you know, that kind of spectacle. And it really, you know, they really do. I think, I, I think because of the, um, the budget constraints, they really were able to have a, have a really fun episode like this that really does rely on the performances. So, um, yeah, I really, yeah, I, I like this one a lot and, um, you know, I, I, lo I love the, um, uh, you know, they, it still allows for some really great, um, um, some really great technical flourishes. I think the some of the tracking shots in the beginning um, are are terrific. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, this is, a, this is a terrific episode. Thank you. I do like one of those track. Sorry, go ahead. no, but no, you go ahead. Um, I, I do like the that you mentioned it. I actually noticed that as well. The sort of tracking shot that starts off and it starts a bit with all neo noir yep. and sort of like the jazz mm -hmm. music late at night, the rain, the yeah. detectives getting out with the hats and the mat slowly follows them through the club to the toilet and then it just pans up and it's just a severed head. So you've Great. got all this like lovely build up and then it's like oh. <laughs> really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah. It's also worth noting at the um that um that cinematographer, I know he did a few episodes this season as uh Robin Vigeon who's um who did both the um I think probably most notable did the did Hellraiser one and two and mm. um and Nightbreed for Clive Barker. Um, very so, cool. you know, there's, a, you know, the, and those films, of course, are, you know, very visually, um, you know, satisfying. So it's, it's, I think he definitely brings some of that to the, to this. Okay. Mondo. Yeah, no, I, I thought this was, a, this was a great episode with the two actors playing off each other. Um, uh, Susie Ezra, I think is fantastic. Yeah. And um, I kind of got almost if anybody's seen the whole West Memphis three documentaries or the Paradise Lost documentaries. Oh, yeah. I kind of got that vibe from this because it's uh, basically the detective found a mark who they knew was into into horror films, was into, um, uh, I'd say, more extreme uh, sexual fetishes and was being targeted basically because of his what he did extracurricularly as opposed to any actual hard evidence. So I think I kind of really felt for the guy being, I'm like, dude, that could be me. I'm a horror movie fan. I like some weird stuff. I like heavy metal. And I, I really kind of was, was rooting for, I, I feel like even, the, I feel like the whole episode, I was actually rooting for um, Susie Izzard's character for Evans. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was a really, really cool way they played off each other. Cause you get that vibe and they don't really hide it. They don't really hide that. They, you get that vibe from the beginning because even the beginning yeah. when, when they're, when he's bringing his bowling bag in, I remember one of the detectives mentions like, oh, maybe you have a severed head in your head in your bag. And holy shit, he did. <laughs> it's, fun so that they can, it's fun that they can drop something like that and that it doesn't and that it kind of goes, you know, because you have have a certain expectation, it kind of um, you kind of over you. The audience kind of overlooks that. Yeah.
Well, so and I really like when they do that because yeah. it, it's it, the whole episode. I think most of us that have been hardened horror fans are thinking this is what's going to happen. This is going to be. Uh, we kind of know where it's going, I think. And then when it goes there and they do it very well, that's totally fine. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I was a fan. It's almost kind of yeah, like well, I a, think... it's almost like a reverse, like usual suspects where it's like, you know, the, you find out it's the, you know, it's actually the, um, the detective who's, you know, who's pulling one over on us, you know, yeah. as yes. opposed to the suspect. Yeah. But, but I'd say one of the, one of the, maybe the best episode of so far of season seven, I don't remember, but, uh, if not one of Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that, I have that, to go back. West Memphis 3 is a good, uh, really great reference. I didn't even think of that, but that's totally spot on. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hop in now. Uh, yeah, I really like this episode. I guess it, is it be- it's probably one of the best season seven episodes. Is it better than, you know, the best of the other seasons? I don't think so, but like I said, it's well-directed, really well-acted, got great performers. Um yeah, that scene where you know the other the the lower level cop, it's like Scampy or something. I forget his name. Yes. <laughs> like shrimp or something. That's <laughs> <laughs> seafood on the mind. Um, yeah, he like reaches into his bag. He's like, "Do you ever touch other man's balls without permission?" <laughs> like that. That was a pretty badass line. And then, and then you see the bowling ball, and you're like, "Okay." So then at the very end, I, yeah, you know that he's the killer the whole time. And then when the other end, when he reaches in, and you're like, oh, there's, is there a silver head in the bowling ball? And then you see, oh, no, it's just the top of the bowling ball. Like, just the balls on him to bring a severed head into a police station like that. It was pretty great. Um, yeah, the back and forth and all the interrogation scenes is really well done, well shot, well acted. The, the dialogue's witty. Um I did keep wondering. I, I I don't know that that lower level cop guy just kind of walking around. I thought he would play into it somehow. So at one point, I thought he was actually the killer, and he was putting the two guys against each other, like planting evidence. Hmm. Um, I thought it was going to be like the guy you least the the, the guy who seems like the quote weakest. Um, yeah, it would be a bit too much of a twist, probably. Yeah, but. I think if they went that direction, it'd be like a high tension style twist where it's like, hold yeah. on, that doesn't make sense <laughs> like at all. <laughs> So everyone was the same person, I see. And and how ballsy was Lynch by basically just it, wouldn't you just leave that severed head in your car? Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, right. Just in. bringing it to the to the scene. Yeah, I like the fact he's focused on from the murder though. Like he's done it. It's like, I haven't got time. Oh, I'll go right. straight to the police station. It's yeah. fine. I've got that. that makes sense. I mean, to like start leaking at some point. Like, yeah. that, and I also forget too. In the UK, you guys actually have a really good public transit system, so you can actually <laughs> not you don't have to drive places, which Oh yeah, damn you, auto industry. <laughs> if you if you tried to drive away from that murder scene in Soho, you'd be you'd probably be within a five minute radius. You know, you know two hours <laughs> yeah. later, you're not getting anywhere. <laughs> and on CCTV, they would just track you. <laughs> um. So yeah, I thought it was a really solid episode. Just to get to the talent, uh, this was directed by Peter Hewitt. Um, his one of his first movies was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which again is a personal landmark oh, yeah. favorite of mine. Great. Um, the Borrowers. He did a movie called Thunderpants about a kid who can fart. That's like a superpower. I've heard about that. Sure I've about never, that. I've never I've watched it, it, but yeah, I know that. I never, he never saw that one out. <laughs> then he did like the first live action Garfield movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the Susie <laughs> Izzard. Uh, yeah. Susie Izzard um, from, you know, Amazing Comedy, some movies as like Mystery Men, Show the Vampire. Yeah. Um, she was in Valkyrie, you know, another Gil Adler joint. 
Oh, cool. Um, and then she was also in Hannibal with a great little stint as a serial killer. Yeah. Where? What is she in Hannibal? She's okay. like kind of the later seasons. She's kind of like oh, another, in the TV show. Kind of, okay. In the, in the TV no, show, okay. No, no. Sorry, TV show, not the movie. I was thinking the movie. I was like, I don't, I don't remember her in the movie. Yeah. I also really, I really liked her. The that I think it was a Showtime shows she did the uh, the Riches with Minnie Driver. Yes, that was really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. And then Kieran Hines, um, he was in the Road to Perdition, one of the Laura Croft movies, Munich, the TV show Rome. Um, he was he had a, a scene in a couple scenes in Harry Potter, yeah. Deathly House Part Two, The Woman in Black, and he was also Steppenwolf in the Justice League movie. Yeah, um, I, I realize that. Yeah, I, 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 I've always he's an actor I've always known, but I've mm-hmm. I realized that you know, yeah, some of his more his more well known works kind of came after this. Um, you know, like. Um, yeah, like, like well known, things like that. Yeah, yeah. well, like uh, well known to us because like. Yeah, he obviously yes was very. Well, I really had an audience doing, in, in 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 England. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been doing this whole season. I've been going to the IMDb's and trying to find what the interesting points are on their resume, but I don't know British TV or uh, film that well. So really, I should just been going to James this whole time <laughs> and asking, uh, what, what was the, what was the cultural significance of all these. Um, and then we have the two other detectives. Um, what I thought was cool, the one that was played by Alan Armstrong, and um, he was in Kroll. So, again, we have the second week in a row where we mentioned Kroll as a reference. Um, he did some episodes of Married with Children. He was in Braveheart. He was in Sleepy Hollow. He was also in Van Helsing. One movie, one movie that just makes me mad every time I think about it. <laughs> yeah, for many reasons. Yeah, For many reasons. That movie. <laughs> Never saw it. I'm okay with that. Like, I feel like I didn't need to. All right, uh, let's do the comic comparison. Um, let me bring it up. Structure-wise, it's relatively the same as the episode, except here we have a kind of middle-aged schlubby guy. He's driving home one night, and one of his uh, headlights is broken. And in the one headlight, he finds a dead woman uh, lying on the street that's obviously hit by a car. Hmm. He uh, obviously doesn't have access to a phone or anything. He can't find anyone to help her. So he gets in his car and tries to drive to get some help. But then the cops come up behind him and think that he's trying to leave the scene of the crime and that he's the one that uh, hit the woman. So they arrest him um, and they call in, they call like the chief or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's asleep or whatever uh, that night. And so he's going to come in. But in the meantime, he tells them to start interrogating him. And he keeps denying it, even though he has a broken headlight and you know, there's like broken glass. So basically, the police beat the shit out of him for like 10 hours. Well, he just keeps denying it over and over and over again. And the uh, lieutenant shows up and uh, turns out it's his wife. That was the one killed, which just makes them beat up this guy even harder. And uh, then they have the forensics guy go up to the chief and says, hey, we, we checked the headlight and the glass doesn't match the glass by the victim. And he's like, well, th- that doesn't matter. I'm sure he's the one that did it. Tell him, tell him to beat them harder. That's wow. what they do. Like they bring out like, <laughs> pipes. Jeez. And the forensics guy is like, oh, you know, I'm probably wrong. It's fine. Just keep just keep beating up this, <laughs> oh, wow. this, this poor guy. It, it sounds like finally, it sounds like 2020. Uh, United States police work, just saying. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, obviously, you know, after a whole night of, you know, torture, he confesses. Um, and then the lieutenant's like, okay, well, we got our man. I'm going to go home and, you know, start preparing for my wife's funeral. 
And of course, they show him going home. He stops at a store to get a package. He walks in his garage. And it turns out that in the package is a new headlight for his car because he's the one that killed the woman mm. who was his wife and basically pinned on this other guy. That's interesting. That, hmm. that actually um, that actually has you know kind of harkens also harkens back to um, you know two for the show where the mm-hmm. where the interrogating cop is uh, you know is is covering up the murder of his wife. Yeah. 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 I I really like, actually, I really like this comic. It's one of those things where, like, God damn it. You know, this is written, you know, 70 years ago, whatever it is. And, you know, we're still kind of, it's still, it's still not much has changed. That's just kind of depressing. But it's a a really well, really well done comic. Um, And and this was in, um, this was in Tales from the Crypt. Um, uh, I don't think it's a Tales from the Crypt. Is it I don't like have a, it like a shock suspense story, suspense stories, or yeah, I'm looking it up. Stories, yeah. Just keep talking, but um, <laughs> talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. Okay. It doesn't have like the witch or any of the other like right. um, yeah, because I know people. they do a number of shock and and crime suspense stories. It's um okay. Yeah, the first panel says number, shock suspense story. Shock suspense story number four. Cool. Yeah, it's, it definitely kind of seems like like more of that. That that that, yeah. that that brand, yeah. Uh, Jason, I don't know if you mentioned it because I zoned out for a second as I tend to do because I was looking at something. But uh, <laughs> I noticed that um, the artwork in this is really cool. I really like the opening panels of this. I thought I, I love the the way they draw the cityscape and how gritty it looks. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's probably my favorite comics. I think we've read at least. It's really oh, wow. It's a really, good, awesome. it's a really good comic. Yeah, some, some high brand. The visuals in some are really are terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Any final thoughts before we do our episode ratings? Um, one thing I I think the thing that hits hard with this one, and as well as the kidnapper, mm-hmm. is the fact there's no comeuppance for the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, the roles are completely reversed, like to the point yeah. where usually most house on the crypt, it's like the good guy on their knees, and then there's you know some twist of fate or something, which means the roles reversed. The bad guy gets it. In this one, it's the other way around. Like the bad guy's kind of on the ropes. Susie's out kind yeah. of has has his number without really trying. And then all of a sudden it's this sort of twist of fate. And that, and unlike two for the show where, you know, someone who's bad does that come up and it's not exactly. in this case, the bad person gets away scot-free and the good person is sort of thrown, thrown into jail. And I think a bit like the kidnapper, that's the thing that's a lot more rawer about this episode. I think is the fact there is no, you know, there is no morality tale there. It's, you know, no one lives yeah. happily ever after. Yeah, I forgot about the kidnapper. That was a spectacular oh, one too. Yeah, mm. heartbreaking. Yeah, I think I compare them both because it, there's just something a lot more darker about them because there is. It's just that kind of final kind of you kind of left raw by it. It's like I've just watched an episode of Black Mirror. Like it's that kind yeah. of. Uh, there's right. no coming back from this. Yeah. There's no. There's no. You know, silver lining. Yeah, I guess. Right. And the yeah. both are like famous British, like famous comedians playing more darker roles, which is kind yeah. of cool. Yeah, mm. I, I guess there's a, a, there is some. Um, yeah, I guess I guess with the kidnapper, there's a little bit of there's a slightly bit more uh, moral question to Steve Coogan's character in that, whereas in you know this one is like you know someone that we're kind a character that we're kind of we're set up to suspect, and then it turns out is you know you know completely innocent, kind of like what Mondo was mentioning with the West Memphis Three kind of comparison of someone who like might you know might kind of you know, go against, uh, you know, kind of implicate themselves with some of their interests and that sort of thing, kind of be a target for that. But, um, you know, is in fact completely innocent and is kind of, you know, kind of used as a, 
patsy for the for the guilty party. So um, mm. yeah. yeah. I wonder I mean, if this was one of the first instances in TV or film that someone's internet history is used against them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, it is one of the few, and it's one of the few that really does that does have that, you know, as a, you know, as a as an element, as a plot element. It's probably the first, the only tells the crap episode that even mentions the internet. Yeah, I think that's right. Because then, yeah, they pull up his IMDb. Uh, sort of history as well. I think that's right. Or, and, he, and his video rentals was probably the last yeah, TV show to do that yeah. as well. Right. Well, yeah, because I think IMDb was, I think it was 95 when that was launched, like 94, 95 when that was launched. So, yeah, it was very fresh. Yeah. And I think it adds to it as well because obviously Jack's got all this kind of resource at his fingertips of like, you know, previous search history, stuff like that. And Susie's are just sort of going off the cuff. Right. It's like, well, I was wondering. Uh, well, he even brings up at one point, like he kind of doesn't. I think he says he doesn't want a lawyer. Right. Um, mm -hmm. That he's just going to kind of wing it himself, which is man, that's that's a bad idea. Um, my dad advice. Oh, my dad advice for the week is: if the cops ask you any questions, ask for a lawyer. Like I don't care what it is. If they say what time it is, you ask for your lawyer. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, I was wondering about like privacy law in England versus America. If, like you need a warrant to look up someone. Um, you know. I don't know about in the, the legal system, but my company's based in Germany, and I had to take a whole like a whole course about a, about um I forgot the call, but the German privacy laws, which I think are far reaching throughout Europe too, which is pretty pretty much um stricter than ours are here in the states. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we had the big the GDP, GDPR thing a few years yes, ago, yes, which I think true. a lot of U.S. companies adhere to, just because I think there's so many sort of customers mm -hmm. and kind of people like that based in um, in Europe. Again, I don't know if the U.K. or England is is beholden to it anymore because we've come out of the EU. Again, my European politics is shocking. But I think I, <laughs> I don't think we I, we're not as tethered so much to Europe anymore, which is a, which is a shame. But yeah, I think they are a lot more stringent, sort of for the better of the consumers, effectively. Yeah, even even with simple stuff they do, like you can't record a, a protest to use later on in police proceedings. You can only do it if it turns violent. Um, there's a lot of stuff they do to protect the citizens, which is good. It's very good. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, cool. I only know that because my company makes surveillance systems. That's how I know the surveillance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do our episode rating. We do zero to five, five being the best, zero being the worst. You can do half points. Galen, what do you give this episode? Zero to five? Yeah, zero to five, half points are allowed. I'd give it a four. I'd give it a solid four. I think, um, you know, I think this is, as we've talked about this, this does, this does cover some, uh, some familiar territory, but I think, it's, and again, it's not, it doesn't have, doesn't quite pack the punch of some of the previous, um, uh, uh, seasons, but I think again, it really, um, I think it really stands out in this season. You know, for the um, for the performances, really, as we said, really letting the the actors carry the carry the episode. Um, and and I think um, and now you have just two people at the top of their game um, here, so that's just a just an ideal circumstance for that. So yeah, I, I give it solid. All right, James. I'm going to go for five. Um, I remember, like I said, watching this episode when it first came out. I loved it. I was enamored with it. Um, it was kind of my first taste for the TV show of Tales from the Crypt. Like I said, I think the acting's really, really good. Even though I think the portrayal of the police is a little weird. They have like 
two sets that are kind of old, like 1930s detectives. Then they have like the non-detectives looking like SWAT team. And then they have Jack that's kind of like a, a John McClane plays, plays by his own rules kind yeah. of detective. So yeah. they are kind of like merging all three of the polices into one. But yeah, I just think it, it it's brilliant. And it's different from a lot of other tales in the crypt. Like it's not gore heavy, it's not effects heavy, but it is more character driven and it's more, you know, the acting has to stand up. Um, and also, obviously, they wouldn't do this, but I think this episode could be another 15 or 20 minutes longer and still not miss a beat. Like, it feels they yeah. could have really played out that back-and-forth cat and mouse. I agree. Like yeah. I said, um, with Susie Izzard, like, off the cuff, just saying, well, no class here look, that was written on the on the toilet above the, the dead person. You know, is this someone that's recently been passed up for promotion? Obviously, someone's very physical. You know, they, they do sporting, maybe bowling. Like, just off the cuff, that kind of... Mm-hmm. The fact that he has... You know, Jack Lynch's number. I just think that back and forth is really good and just sways so much. You know, it's just a shame that uh, that Evans character decided to confess to to seemingly nothing at the end. But yeah, I think it's just great episode. I think it's my number one for me. Again, I think it's a lot of it is nostalgia. I saw it at that age where it was just like, oh, yeah. and thought, yes, this is brilliant. oh definitely nostalgia is a hell of a drug. <laughs> um, all right, Mondo. I'm at a four with this. I'm with Galen on this one. One of the better episodes of season seven. Uh, not like probably my top ten of all time, but man, but I, but I totally get it, James. Like or when when you when it's one of those one of one of those episodes where it's like it, when you hit that at those right at that right age. Like I think all of us have those horror movies or whatever anything genre related or anything cartoon related that we hit at just the right time and we latch onto that and um mm-hmm. and we, we kind of fall in love with it which i absolutely one of the most fun things about doing this now for 120 episodes is hearing this this wide variety of episodes that people like and people love so i, I don't i can't quite go five on this but this was, I, I really really enjoyed this episode whereas at first when i was like oh god it's another mystery one I was like, please no. And then it turned out to be so much more than I expected. Yeah, I'm on the four train as well. Um, solid episode, not classic, but uh, I, again, if it hits you the right way at the right time, I can't blame anyone for giving it a five. Uh, I still maintain Return of Living Dead 2 is better than number one, only because that's the first zombie movie I saw as a kid. So <laughs> I have yeah. a really soft spot for that. But movie. I will say number three was my favorite because that also saw that at the right time and had a very mm-hmm. big crush on that actress. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, that kind of yeah. is a, stands, in a, it stands in a category of its own, that one. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I, I would be remiss not to not to shout out um I, I, you know they they brought in a lot of um you know you know different like crew for this this season and my the the composer of this is a guy named Julian Knott who was um who who I knew as uh, as um writing all the music for the Wallace and Gromit uh shorts and and, and films. Oh wow. Yeah. That's so cool. That, that that classic theme that everyone knows from those from those from from those shorts and the feature is uh it was was composed by this guy Julian Nutt. So it was cool to kind of see him do something completely different yeah. um for this one so this kind of like sulky noir kind of thing. So that was cool. I'm hearing that in my head now you said that. I'm hearing the <laughs> Oh it's, yeah it's it's an ear it's a total earworm that theme. Yeah, so it's interesting you bring that up because like those Wallace and Grop movies, a lot of the people from this season did voices in those, either in the show or in That's the movies. Right. Um, yeah. I kept seeing like that, even like just more small bits. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely uh, something that I kept seeing kind of coming up over and over again. Right. Yeah, and that was right when those, um, yeah, right when those two that those first two shorts were um, 
I think the one that won the Oscar, the wrong trousers, we kind of hit the um, hit the scene. That those and you know, and it was kind of the it was a um, it was a I think it was they got popular on PBS and stuff at that time originally. And those were yeah, that, I mean, I was obsessed with those as a kid when those came out. Nice. Okay, Mondo, tell us about your song of the day. Okay, so I don't have anything that fits in with this episode at all, but I do want to highlight um, a, a band that I think just put out one of the best albums of 2023. 2020, yeah, that's a year we're in. Um, <laughs> a, a, a band from uh, Colorado by the name of Wayfarer, and, and they did a, a record um, a few years back called, um, fuck, I'm sorry, now it's killing me. Like, Do they Huh? Do we sell okay. couches? God damn it! Get the fuck out of here, Jason. That's Wayfair. Um, and, you know, and fuck Wayfair because they make you—they want you to sign up for a fucking account to look at anything. Like you see an ad with some shit you like, and you click on it, it's like, oh, give us your email address for the thirtieth time. It's like fuck you. No, I don't want more spam from you assholes. Uh, but <laughs> they do have some neat stuff. Even weren't they implicated in that QAnon like child trafficking like oh, fucking yeah. theory? People were like going deep onto their website and finding like weird links, to, like a shed that would be there for like twenty thousand dollars, and called like Jessica. And they're like, "Dude, that's just our developers putting placeholders in for fun, like and learning how to program." Like, fuck off. But anyhow, anyhow, I digress. Well, Wayfair's latest album that just came out in October is called American Gothic, and uh, like most of my picks, it is metal. Uh, but they do like this black metal styled with. I don't even know how to explain it aside from like it's the album is wild, wild west theme. Like that's kind of the story. It's a story. It's a concept record. Um, and it sounds like they, they, they melded those like old school country sounds. I'm not talking the poppy bullshit they have nowadays, um, but the old school country sounds with this American black metal. And I, I think it just sounds phenomenal. It's some it's I'm sure there's a lot of fucking people out there. They're going to be like, nah, it's not true. Black metal. Yeah. Well go fuck yourself. It's uh, it, it's great. And what they're doing is, is a step above uh, most uh, modern metal, just to be honest. Like it's very creative and uh, fantastic, very creative, but also fantastically written, which is uh, not an easy thing to do. So uh, the song I'm picking off this is to enter my house justified because I love the lyrics on it. And um, even the record itself, you buy the vinyl, the, the lyric sheet is an old timey newspaper. That you open up and it has all the lyrics in there to make it look like it was a straight out of it. And I just love it's a complete presentation, in my opinion. And in my opinion, the uh, uh, at least top three of the year for me. Nice. I, um, I'll go check that out because I listened to the indigenous band you recommended last week. I'm not going to try to pronounce what is it Nyach called <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I have to, I, have to, I can't. I'm, I'm a little buzzed. I can't. can't That's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was listening to that as I was driving my family out to Phoenix um, for Thanksgiving. I'm like driving like through the desert. There's cactuses all all around me, and I was like vibing to the music. It's good stuff. Yeah, and you you sometimes you're much like TV and movies. It's just it, it, an album or a song just hits you at the right time, mm-hmm. and it's 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 one it's it's kind of a beautiful thing, right? Like I still remember a band. Um, uh, God, man, like my my brain's not working right now. I can I can picture I can picture the I have a cassette tape of it because the only release on cassette, uh, and I I ripped it to my 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 uh, my uh, 
iTunes, but I still remember like one of our rare snowstorms in Las Vegas driving and that just came on and the right song came on. I was like, fuck, this is great. I'm going to find that tape now after we're done and listen to it because now now I'm into it because it's all cold out here and, and gross. But that's one of the beauty thing, beautiful things about media, right? It's like you, you latch on to something like that at the right time, and it's oh, yeah. it's just a beautiful thing, man. So, what did well, you think of it? What did your family think of it? Well, I, you, I, I found the one that was a little more folksy. Okay, you yeah. Recommended. So I did that, and I did that, and my and I I did that thing where you know you can put the speakers more towards the front of the car. Oh, okay. So kids are playing on their iPads; they don't care. <laughs> and my wife, I my, I was driving, so my wife told me to play whatever I wanted. So I was like. All right, we'll see how this goes. She she was kind of into it. It wasn't like entirely her thing, but I think she she appreciated it. And she's like, I think this is metal. So then I played a song from one of the other albums. She's like, okay, got it. <laughs> I, uh, when I saw them at a Fire in the Mountain festival up in Wyoming, they played a full acoustic set, and it was fucking mm. badass. I think one of yeah, the first I, bands we saw though, when we went there. I think that's one of my favorite. Uh, I, I, is there a genre name for that? Where like a, a really heavy band does a more chill. Uh, Kind so of acoustic-y, but not like gimmicky. Not album. really. That's kind of what Amigo the Devil is. I would just call it American folk, to be honest with you, because I think it all falls under that blanket. Um, but yeah, watching them play in Wyoming with the mountains in the background outside was just yeah. it was just beautiful. Like, oh god, what's the band that did um Opeth? Yeah, yeah they, have, they have that one album that's just more chill. Dam- Damnation. Damnation, yeah, I love that album. That's one of my favorite records of all time, like top yeah. five of all time for me. Easy. Yeah. And and it's a, it's a record when they announced it, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to like this. And then I got it and I was like, this is unreal because it's still very dark. It's a very yeah, heavy record. Dark. Yeah, if you can be heavy without all that distortion, you're just working extra hard for it. And that, I appreciate that. I agree. All righty. Um, all right. Jody's not here for horror news. So we're going to skip that for tonight. Um, I didn't have time to put out anything for the Patreon pit because I'm still like oh, post Thanksgiving uh, hangover. I got it real fast. Just a little bit of horror news. Um, wh- by the time you hear this, it'll be out in theaters. Uh, Godzilla minus one. Oh, yes. I am uh, a yeah. fucking huge Godzilla fan. I'm so excited. I got my ticket for Thursday. I'm super excited. I'm going to watch it in the recliner on Thursday. So I'll be tired. But I'm going to watch it in IMAX, I think, on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. James, do you have a, you haven't seen that movie yet, have you? That's a... No, no, I've not. I don't think it comes out over here just yet. Anyway, I've not seen any advertising for it just yet. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be riffing on Monday's kind of excitement and enthusiasm for it. So I'll wait for it when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I was thinking about this because I rewatched Godzilla versus King Kong a couple months ago, and what I realized was that it's the sh- the way that movie is shot is more like like you're watching a wrestling match, like you're standing next to Godzilla and King Kong, and they're kind of doing their thing, which is cool. It's cool watching those two characters going at it, but it it seems it makes it more mundane in a way, less impressive. Whereas like this movie is much more you're seeing it from the ground, like you would like a person would. Well, and that's it's so much more terrifying seeing these like behemoths coming down upon you. It's done by Toho again, so it's yeah. um, yeah, it's gonna be that style, which is awesome. Whereas obviously King Kong versus Godzilla was more meant for like the big theatrical. Like th- this one is definitely not, uh, and it's nothing wrong with that. It definitely wasn't aimed at a Western audience. Yeah, it's, it's more so. It's more so they aimed it for their audience and realized that all of us kaiju fans like i am are still gonna are gonna go see it because we loved all the originals growing up so yeah I'm it just, did, it just didn't even occur to me until like the trailers for this one came up i was like oh yeah this is because i was like this trailer is ain't scarier than anything in any of the other godzilla movies we've got the american ones recently good. and i was trying to figure out why 
And then when I watched Kong versus Godzilla, it occurred to me how, because it's all being filmed like more from above, it's as if like they were my size and I'm watching them fight where this one is like, you're on the ground. And that's, that's what's terrifying about those, about those characters. Yeah. But Jason, you're almost as tall as Godzilla. So it's, (laughs) I, 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 I would watch Godzilla versus Kong versus Jason Stein. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, um, uh, apologies for the likely, um, likely repeat, but, um, I haven't, I haven't listened to the last couple episodes, but I'm assuming you guys, you know, talked about the, um, about the, the people under the stairs remake. Very, no. very briefly, but yes, yeah. yes. Pretty, pretty excited for that. Oh yeah. Especially from Jordan Peele's production company, which yeah. I think are going to do it. And mm-hmm. they'll do an amazing job on it. Yeah. I'm ex- Yeah. I'm, ve- I'm very, ex- I'm, Cautiously optimistic because that is, a, yeah. I think, a sacred text for me, and I think that that film is just flaw a flawless production. But um, that that's a movie that the first time I saw it, I definitely didn't get it. I was probably too young oh, to watch oh, it, yeah. and then as I got older and watched it again, I'm like, oh shit, there's a lot going on in this, oh, and it's yeah. really good and and terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember it was, it was one crazy. of those because I wasn't a big horror fan growing up, but I think that came on on cable, and I was just like, "Whoa!" I like weird kind of. I always like kind of weird yeah. stuff, like Lindian stuff and things like that. And I was like, "Whoa!" This is completely different from any horror film I've seen. I was like, "This is fantastic," you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's one of those ones that just hit. Yeah, one of those ones you just don't realize it. I think you summed it up, Mondo. It's like I remember watching it. And goes, why is he dressed in leather? Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe that. Maybe that's his. Maybe that's his, that's you know his house hunting gear. I don't know. Oh, no. yeah. I don't know. I won't ask any more questions about it. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and that's, oh, that's great. My closet, that, like fuck it's right. <laughs> um, well, it's great because you know, though, well, it's the possibilities are fun because you know that was of course the the those actors actors were the the famous couple from uh from Twin Peaks. Right. And so, oh, I so you wonder like what what kind what what would be the kind of equivalent of that you know now if they wanted to go in that direction of like you know that there's a lot of poss- fun possibilities there definitely yeah and if i can just bring up one of the things we talked about it before um arrow video came out with the hellraiser uh court uh, uh, the, the box set um which has the work print of bloodline which i finally watch i've watched the entire box set now and the work print for bloodline is way better than bloodline and i like bloodline because i think when it came out again i i when the first i saw it in theaters in 99 or 2000 when it came out and i was in high school um but i will say the work print is very different the narrative is much much better in it and it they, they meant that they make they very specifically mention that the true director's cut is lost and it'll never service yeah, wow. but uh it, but ties and tails and crypt goes kevin yeager and yeah. uh the work print though is definitely a different image from um uh, the actual theatrical release and i think it's better and i wish i had that in the 4k format not in, like they, they present it from a vhs uh uh for a uh, four three ratio format which is still fine i highly recommend anyone who's in the hellraiser go buy this fucking box set it's worth everything yeah i really want to watch the work print but i just can't justify the money to by all these other movies that I already have, like on multiple yeah. formats, dude. But in in four in, in 4K, like all I'm gonna say is is one of the beauties of Hellraiser is also um, watching the the set pieces, mm-hmm. and in 4K you see so much more of the set pieces. I like I was picking up stuff. My wife was picking up stuff that we've seen those movies a million times and never picked up before. Uh, so I, I, I Jason, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's worth it. Uh, if you want, come to Vegas. You can just borrow mine. 
Yeah. I'm going to bring it back to me at some point. Or maybe someone will get it for me for Hanukkah. We'll see. It's not going to be me. What's so much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's that's exciting. I ha- I I haven't seen the I haven't seen some of the latter um, Hellraisers, but yeah. That's, Ooh, don't yeah. stop after four. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, so yeah. I will I will go by five being okay. Five was not terrible, but a lot of the later ones, um, Doug Bradley had mentioned at one time in a Q&A that they were just detective stories they wrote and they realized like, well, we have the rights to Pinhead, so just throw Pinhead in there. Right. And that's, and it was an afterthought. Yeah. Right. So it's always, well, it's, so it always feels like there's, you know, there's, there's a story, it's a story about blah, 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 and then Pinhead. Yeah, it'd be uh, like fucking having uh, Bluey the dog, and then somehow Pinhead, Pinhead. just shows up in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, in our, in our uh, uh, prolific uh, Tales of the Crypt, uh, I think set designer or editor uh, Rick Boda directed mm. a lot of those leather ones. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I feel bad disparaging him because he's like part um, of the Crypt family, but it was Inferno. Inferno actually has some really, really good ideas in it. Um, just. Like I, I remember our, our good friend uh, Dr. Natalie, who's been on the show before. Um, she recommended I rewatch, and I rewatch it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is way better than I remember." Um, then I watched number six, and I was like, "Oh, this is way worse than I remember." But is that the one that was uh, that's that's from the uh, the sinister director? I don't know. That's one. It's it's got the detective in it, yeah, and he's trying yeah, to like narrow it down. Yeah. Because I know Scott oh, Derrickson awesome. did what that was one of his first films. He did one of the, yeah, one of the Hellraiser. So Rick Bowden before. did Hellseeker, Deader, and Hellworld. So that could have been Inferno, could have been uh, Derrickson. Like, I'm bringing it up right James, now. I thought I'd be I'm pretty this. sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm saying you're talking right, about James, all these detectives. So I said, you're bringing up all these detectives. I'm surprised Pinhead didn't show up in this episode of Confession. Just put, oh, yeah, I know. Right. That's what I was thinking. Just he throw totally uh, Doug have. Bradley in it, like yeah. Oh, he. T- I, mean, I, I, I mean, I totally would have bought that. Um, uh, that that uh, Karen Hines' character ha- had the box in his in his yeah. little apartment. Probably. You know, definitely. Why are you questioning me? Can't you question the guy with the pins in his face? Oh. And whatever. <laughs> Why am I the suspect? It's like Ben Hens is like working as a janitor in the background. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. In the police, yeah, yeah, you have these centibytes just kind mm-hmm. of in the background. Yeah. Do you know it's not until Hellraiser three that someone refers to him as Pinhead and they call they, they're calling him that in a disparaging manner. That, oh wow! Because in, in the in the book he was always a hell priest, right? And then uh, and actually in the first but in, in the Hellbound Heart he was very um, they never really they said it was very gender fluid like just hmm. um they never really gave a gender um and if you guys read the comics spoiler for anyone that doesn't want to read the comics um the comics are fantastic where it's basically uh pinhead gets tired of being a cenobite and kirsty cotton realizes the only way she can have any impact is if she becomes a cenobite and they switch roles and uh pinhead becomes uh human again and kirsty cotton becomes a new hell priest fuck yeah spell us and it's very very well done the comics they did um and all and all were a hundred percent approved by clive and clive was a consultant for all of them and helped write some of it so Ooh. just uh and then my favorite piece of Hellraiser lore, because we have our friend uh, James here from the UK, is that the VHS tape that constantly appears on bus stops. And have you guys heard of this? Yeah, I no. saw that. Yeah, there's no, a I've not v- heard of it. there is a V. I'm gonna type VHS copy of. I'm typing this in right now, um, because there is a copy 
Um, there is a uh, it's on the twenty one bus route in London, and they will constantly put someone is putting a copy of Hellraiser uh, one VHS on top of that at all times. Like it's like wow. gone ruined, and did someone like threw it in the trash, and then appeared the next day or something? That's no, no. I, it, there's actually a reason behind. I'm posted here in our chat. But there's a reason behind it, though. If you just if you just go to uh to Google and type in a uh, Hellraiser VHS England, it'll pop up. I think I've got a feeling that I reckon the house that they use in the first one is probably on that bus route. I oh think wow! That's that what, I think that's what, if it, if it's North London. I think. Oh yeah, it's oh yeah, it's up on the top there. I I can only imagine that's it. But let me double check. The um, number twenty-one bus route. It might not be my local one, but I reckon that's probably the reason why. Because it's in, I think it's called Highgate, which is North London. That's where the exterior of the house is. It's been. Uh, it's sat atop the bus shelter by Lidl on Old Kent Road. Old Kent Road. Oh no, that's South East London. I need. Well, that's that. Oh, I might have to go and visit that. And then, and then get an authentic picture. I'll get a selfie with me yeah. with that VHS. Oh, that's rad. Well, yeah. I, I forgot about it. And then like a month ago, someone posted a, a new picture of a new VHS copy on top of it because it hadn't happened in a while. And it said, all is finally right in the world once again. <laughs> because <laughs> people are still using the Hellraiser fucking VHS I'm tape. A, I might have to continue that tradition. Gotcha. Like Jada Pinkett like Smith's character in Demon Knight, I'll have to be the one that carries on that tradition <laughs> yes. and, and put the VHS atop of the bus stop. It, it sounds amazing until that VHS starts going for like four hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like need the back. I might make fake Clive Barker's autograph and um, uh, and just put it inside as well, like that. At that. <laughs> I, I, I will oh, say if you mean, track down, yeah. and this is not a knock on Doug. Bra I, I think Doug Bradley is one of the, like of all the people I've met in the whole horror community. Doug Bradley is one of the best. Oh, cool. Like um, I got I got shit faced with him one time at Palace Station out here in Las Vegas. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just the nicest fucking guy. Oh, that's rad. Uh, and just wants to talk about, loves horror. He loves the genre. He legit does. But he also understands, like, he wants to make money. So I guarantee if you pay him, like, 40 bucks, he'd probably give his address and sign it for you. And <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. For our dad advice, James, I was going to ask you to recommend some uh, British-made horror that we may not be aware of. So not like, you know, we all know Shaun of the Dead, The Sense, um, those kind of movies. Uh, what oh, what wow. are some underrated gems that you'd recommend our audience? Oh, um, Dave, like, or, what, did you gonna... what did you watch growing up that you fell in love with? I think I generally tend to love the American stuff. I was a bit snooty, and I thought if anything was British or like in the UK rated 15, so like PG 13, I thought, oh, that's, mm. not, that's not good enough. But then, you know, I, I, I sort of took my head out of my ass. So I wasn't too bad. I think the thing, probably the British horror film that I love the most is in its, I guess, what a horror gateway movie is The Witches, the Roald Dahl mm -hmm. adaptation. Oh, the original. yeah. Because the Nick Rowick one. Yeah. Because it's just so dark. And again, I think I watched it at an age where I just didn't quite understand it, even though it's a kid's film, like the whole stranger danger, don't talk to strangers. It's that yeah. thing with like an adult, you know, don't talk to strangers. Why? Well, just don't do it. You can't tell the consequences of what happens if that happens, but it's mm -hmm. that I, I found that beyond chilling when they're all in that room and they're unmasking to oh, their basically the their witch selves. That's terrifying. Like that's oh, legit. Like as an adult, I watch that and go, Oh, that was, 
no wonder this movie traumatized me as a kid. Yeah, well, I think a lot of those. I think Nicholas Rogue added men. A lot of those were men to make it look more intimidating. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Size right. and again, sort of like the broad shoulders and such. I think one of them is Michael Palin, who was one of the Monty Python. Oh, it, oh, oh wow. he pops up in there. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's literally. Like, I don't think he's in it. Well, he's in it, but you don't know it's him. I think he's just making up the numbers effectively. Right, he's one of the, but, the background. Yeah, uh, one of the. Yeah, but I think it's fun. yeah. And, well, yeah, cause, yeah. I mean, yeah. So many of those would be down to just hang out on set for a day. Um, yeah, that's. Oh, yeah, I loved that film as a kid. Um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's yeah, it scared the shit out of me. But yeah, and and it does. Um, it, it it yeah. What you say, it, it was. It absolutely was one of those that ingrained in my head. Uh, I think I was eight when I saw it. It was uh, that the the whole stranger danger. It was like that was more yeah more effective than you know your parents say you know you know trying to drill it in your head. I mean, just watching that is like oh my god. This isn't, yeah. yeah, I could be locked in a painting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's the concept. Yeah. Oh, of it. yeah. Uh, all the, oh, man. The speaking yeah. of Stranger Danger, how, James, have you seen uh, Eden Lake? Oh, Mike yeah. That, oh, God. That's probably yeah. the worst. Um, uh, what is it? Um, uh, like nursery rhyme kind of like fable. It's just, yeah. Oh, it's that movie, like, still that, that movie will fuck your day up if, you, yeah. <laughs> if you're not expecting what you're about to see. I had a friend that I don't see so much anymore, but she would recommend films to watch, but she always, unbeknownst to her, would recommend the ones with the most kind of nihilistic kind of endings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think she also recommended going to see a film called, uh, it was an early one with, um, oh, God, my memory's going. It's, I think it was called Victoria. And it's about this girl that um, goes to a stately house and is married off, but she ends up killing a kid. In the very end, like suffocating him, and it's like we're just left raw by it. And my friend has his tendency, not knowing this, but recommended the most nihilistic films that are just oh, really? ruin your day, ruin your week. That was the time I went to a girl's house and she had um, the movie Hard Candy with Elliot <laughs> Page. <laughs> yep. And I was like, okay, that's that's a weird first day kind of thing there. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Even for um, me, I was going, like, that's 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 a red flag. Speaking of which, have you guys seen uh, Mike Flanagan who did uh, Fall of the House of Usher? Sure, and, sure. Uh, Minimus. He released he he on Letterbox. He has a oh, yeah. playlist called the uh, Entry Level Horror Films for Non Horror Fans. Hmm. Starts off with Gremlins and then goes into Martyrs, a Serbian film, <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust, like every fucking every, like horrific film you can oh, think of is on that list. Oh my! Oh, that's so cruel. Uh, yeah, like really oh, yeah. Like, yeah, those those three are are ones I will probably never watch. I I've I've I've, I've watched bits and pieces of Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, you don't really need to see I, all of that movie. I, I think Cannibal Holocaust is actually a really really great film if you watch the version with no animal deaths in it. Yeah. That's oh, not yeah. okay to me. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are actually trying to say something with that movie in that like who's the real like we're the savages because we're trying to portray this um i think it's a really great movie but yeah. i but i totally get what people be put off by it don't get me wrong oh, like, i'm yeah. not I th gonna argue I, that. I think it was i think there's i i, I agree and i think it unlike a lot of films like that it is at least trying to say something i think mm -hmm. the i think there are films that say it better i think you know they you know they literally because they literally have to say at the end oh are we the real cannibals? You know, I think yeah. there are other films that are able to convey that message without just say, just straight out saying it. Yeah, but for yeah. the time, for the time, I think when it came out, but for the time, that was pretty. Yeah, 
I think that's pretty big. I see what you said. And coming back to original point, I have uh, did think of actually a British film that you should check out, a horror film. It opened, or it played at Fright Fest in London this year, and I think it's done the rounds of a couple of other festivals. It's called Amazing Grace, and it's brilliant. It's about this uh, Filipino woman who's in the UK illegally, and she's trying to buy her kind of um, asylum there, and she's got a young daughter. And she goes to work at this kind of stately house, whereas the, the, you know, the owner there, basically someone's in a sort of vegetative state, um, uh, and she just has to tend to him effectively, you know, change beds and stuff. And she works for the the niece who's not very nice, quite racist. But it's just a kind of story of it. It's horror esque, but it's brilliant. The performances are amazing. It kind of gets a bit ghostly. I guess it's more horror ingrained in the everyday in terms of kind of the racism and the xenophobia as opposed to you know ghosts and things that go bump in the night. But it's brilliant. It's like, it's this bittersweet story. It's a bittersweet tale. If you can recommend it, because the performances there's no one. Wait, real fast. Only... Is it Saving Grace or Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Amazing Grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it was phenomenal. I think it was one of the best films at Fright Fest this year. Wow. Um, and it was just yeah, go go see. It. I don't want to say too much about it, but yeah, again, yeah. it's don't expect a full horror kind of like you know Blood on the Walls kind of thing. But it's more bittersweet, and it's more the kind of like I said, ingrained in the everyday horror of of just kind of life for some people. Nice. I, mean, I think the old brilliant. At least for me, the older I get, the more those realistic movies without the blood and gore that talk about the daily struggle of man hit me a lot harder now. Because I think we've all, you know, I mean, I'm 40, Jason's like 55, and uh, we, I think we've all been through these. Uh, <laughs> we've all been through uh, the rigors of life. So I think, like you said, you mentioned though, those sometimes without the blood and gore, those movies hit a lot harder. Mm. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's, it's being at a certain age of having young children now, like the three films we just mentioned, Cannibal Holocaust and Serbian film. I just can't, I, just, I don't know, I just can't stomach them anymore, those yeah. sort of films. Well, just, it's... Man, a Serbian film was one of the few movies I watched out of curiosity, right? Because, of course, when it came out, everyone's just talking about, like, yeah. you have to see the movie, your gore hound. And I watched it, and I was like, no one should ever watch this fucking movie. And at least when I, I watched Cannibal Holocaust. Will. No, don't just don't like, I and I, I hate saying don't watch it because that means some people are like, oh, now I have to see it. Like, no, you really don't need to. Yeah. It's I, I get the director was saying that uh, she was trying to make a commentary about um, life in in that area, but you don't have to put the stuff on screen that you put on there. The same way though, I'll vilify regard Diodato for putting animal deaths in the movie, even though it was a tribe killing them for food. I'm still like, you didn't have to film that and put that on celluloid. Like you could have 100%. abandoned that and have been okay. And he, I think regard Diodato actually said in his later years that he really regrets doing that. In, oh, yeah. That's, but, uh, but a Serbian film, like just no, like just no one should watch that movie ever. <laughs> but yeah, it, to James's point, it is very interesting how you know fatherhood, other life events really shape how you take in uh, media, etc. Like I always talk about, the, my example is you know it because when the first one came out, I was like around those kids' ages, so that freaked me out. You know, being relating to those characters on that age, and then when the new ones came out, and I have kids who are almost the same age, I feel as a parent <laughs> a whole other level of fear when I watch that movie. Yeah. Now that I'm 40, it's not horror movies that do me in. It's like I just cried everything now. Like I'll see a sad commercial and be like, like I, gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta reel this in a little bit. Sitting for too long freaks me. Out. <laughs> <laughs> it scares me. Like, my how's my back gonna do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, some yeah, some of these uh yeah, some of these films we got uh, you know, this is the time of year when 
when you know, you've got like Napoleon and movies like that, the big the Oscar contenders, you know, some of those that push like three hours, you know. <laughs> no, oh. man, there are some great three hour movies out there, but oh, they're yeah. tough. Sometimes they're tough to yeah. get through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right. I mentioned I haven't mentioned here, but the, I saw the holdovers with Paul Giamatti. Oh, and I just he, saw that this weekend. Terrific. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But even so, though, I was like, could you have trimmed maybe 15 minutes out of this? It, and you feel it. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, you definitely feel it at the end. But, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah. I, but the more I think about it, though, there is no wasted film in that movie. It's all really poignant. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. that's probably my favorite film of the year, just to be so honest. Far, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. That's that's in my top five easily. I um, when I love um, that out that director, Alexander Payne, who did. Yes. You know, um, Sideways. Uh, Sideways. Yeah. You know, it was their first film since then together, him and Jamadi. And, you know, yeah. the Descendants is terrific. Um uh, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. So it, yeah, it's, um, yeah, def- yeah, definitely worth, uh, you know, for, for a non-horror choice, that's definitely worth seeking out. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that wraps up another episode. I want to thank James and Galen for joining us thank you so guys. Much. Please tell everyone where uh, people can follow you. Uh, well, I, Galen, yeah, ahead. I am on, um, I'm, I'm most active on, uh, on instagram uh it uh, at galen howard all one word um and uh yeah i um you know po- post everything everything i'm up to or or lack thereof and uh you know um and yeah yeah uh, yeah come say hi all right james pretty best to find me on daily dead i would give you my twitter handle but my name is a bit of a pain to spell uh so if you just go to daily daily dead i'm probably got a new review or something up there so you can check out more there from me Awesome. Oh, Jason, one thing real fast, just because we're recording this on the 20, well, this will come out on December 3rd. So I'm um, very self-serving here. I just have to wish my only child a happy 21st birthday. Uh, mm-hmm. My only child will be 21 on Saturday, which is makes me feel really fucking old. I was young when I had them. And uh, and uh, I'm proud of you. I love you. And you're an awesome kid. And uh, yeah, man, like just keep being you. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll probably never hear this. No, um, yeah. no, they did say though. They did, say, though, they, they did put a sticker of Dad's in the crypt on their car, and they did hand some out at their work. And it says some of their like work your hoes out now. Listen to us. So I'm like, fuck. Awesome. Now I don't have to watch what I say. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been any blowback yet. So I see. But um, but yeah, happy, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. All right. Well, next week we'll be covering. (laughs) Next week we're covering a movie to be determined. Um, We appreciate everyone for listening. We'd really appreciate if you give us a rating review on iTunes, a rating on Spotify. Check out our YouTube for videos of these podcasts. And with that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. Adios. Bye. (laughs) Follow Dads from the Crypt. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. (laughs) No, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it.